Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you want. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This week's podcast comes once again from the BFI South Bank, where I've just done my latest MK3D live show. As usual, there are so many guests that we've split the show into two separate podcasts. Next week, you'll hear from Jason Isaacs and Johnny Flynn about their forthcoming new movie, Operation Mincemeat, and Don Letts looks back on his life and the movie Rebel Dread. This week, however, we're joined by Antonetta Alamak-Kosjanovic, who's brilliant and Can Camera Door winner Marina is in UK cinemas now, and Eddie Marsan, star of the forthcoming TV series The Thief, His Wife and the Canoe, and the Netflix horror movie Choose or Die. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a front row seat at MK3D, live from the BFI South Bank. I got asked just before we come in, why do you bring your bag on? <laughs> I'm just really paranoid. It's got, it's got my computer in it, which has got, like, everything that I've got in it, and I... Not saying the dressing room's not safe. <laughs> not saying that the BFI is a den of thieves or anything, but I just like to have it on stage. I know where it is. Uh, hello, everybody. How are we all doing? <laughs> Do you think that was an ironic? It's like a ripple, isn't it? Um, much has happened since we were last here. How many of you? How many of you is this your first time at this show? Wow, loads of new people. Okay, it's fine, it'll all make sense. Um, just so you know, anything that appears chaotic, it's all deliberate, it's all kind of written into the show. Um, since we were last here, a number of things happened. The big one is, the Oscars happened. And there, there was only one story from the Oscars. And that story is that Riz Ahmed won an Oscar. So huge congratulations to Riz Ahmed and, and Neil Carrier. If you haven't seen it, it's, uh, that short film is absolutely brilliant. It's on YouTube. I think it's on the Guardian site as well. I'm, I'm sure most of you have seen it, but it is absolutely brilliant. It's well worth checking out. And it's a real shame that it didn't get more attention at the time. Um, also, since we were last together here, uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, Simon Mayo and I left Radio 5. But brilliantly, we didn't go... We just moved somewhere else. So the podcast is This Is It. This is the new incarnation which will start on... My God, I look really old in that picture. <laughs> and it, the weird thing about it is, he looks like he's half my age, and yet he's at least six years older than me. <laughs> and my hands look unnaturally large, even though they are... 
It's funny because I actually, I'm not being funny. I actually haven't seen the picture that big before, and now I'm quite, quite concerned by it. Anyway, so that is going to be starting on uh, the 6th of May, and uh, we're also doing a live show on the 24th at the Union Chapel, which is part of the podcast festival. Uh, you can get tickets for that by going to, I don't know, Google. Google Mark and Simon live on stage. However, all the MK3D shows will continue completely uh, uninterrupted. What year, are we in our sixth? Seventh year? Seventh? Seventh year, that's head of the producer. So we're in our seventh year. We will continue uh, to carry on uninterrupted. Uh, fabulous to be here uh, live. The other thing that happened uh, since we last spoke is that uh, amongst the people that we lost was William Hurt. Now, we have a number of young film students in today and so we made an agreement that we were going to try and make this a PG-12, PG-13 rated show, okay? We generally do, we generally like to keep everything kind of family friendly, but there were two possible William Hurt clips I wanted to show. One of them was the one from Altered States, we've shown that before and you know that's probably unshowable. This is a clip from Broadcast News which it's a phrase, the phrase isn't used by William Hurt, but it is a phrase that has passed into mythology and turns up more often than I care to. You know, I say it here, it comes out there. So in memory of the great William Hurt and one of the best films ever made about broadcasting, here is a clip from Broadcast News. Okay, we're going to George. Say, the Joint Chiefs are meeting. We have George Will at the Pentagon. He flew back to the White House according to his aides to better monitor the situation. George Wellm is at the Pentagon and reports that the attack, presumably by a lone Libyan pilot, has resulted in a massive movement of U.S. military might. A lot of alliteration from anxious anchors placed in powerful posts. The attack on the U.S. base was the work of a single Libyan pilot, or if the pilot was acting on instructions from Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi. Difficult machines for a pilot to master. I think you're right. In the 70s, uh, the first crack had a number of crashes. There was trouble with him in the early days, back in the 70s. Thank you, George. Jennifer Mack is standing by at the White House now. I say it here, it comes out the administration's there. Next step. I genuinely think that is one of the best films ever made about uh, television broadcasting, so The Great William Hurt. So, we have an absolutely packed roster of guests tonight, and uh, I can guarantee that we will try and keep everything on track, but it's probably not going to stay on track. So, let's start off with a trailer uh, for a film which won the Camera Door at Cannes last July. Take a look at these. I u tebe povjerenja nemam. Ja more stvarno ne znam kako da te shvatim. Pre tobo more ja ostajem njemu. It's a brilliant film. It's currently playing in UK cinemas. Please welcome the director, Antoneta Alamata Kuzjanovic.
and, and I literally, I was going, no, wait, you, you, you're more than welcome to. Yeah. And I was going, literally in my head, I was going, Antonetta Alamak Kuzjanovic, Antonetta Alamak, and then I got it wrong. No, it's, you did it great. No, but it's so terrible. And the reason it bothers me it's is terrible. this. terrible. No, well, I think my pronunciation <laughs> of your, and here's why it worries me. Because when you have a name as stupid as my name, you worry, because my name is Kermode, right? But if you say Kermode, it's, that means portable toilet. So, <laughs> so was I close? You were great. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to take that in the spirit in which I'm sure it is intended. Of course. It's a terrific movie. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, is it possible to tell us what the film is about? I'll try. Okay. Um, it's about reminding us the resilience that we inevitably use, lose when we um, age. Okay. So. What I want the audience, if you happen to go and take time and not do other things, to go to the cinema, to watch it, um, I hope you come out with that energy to remember that um, you know, there's fate into an unknown and there's um, yeah, this energy that we lose as adults. So it's the story of I'm a getting like So it's the story of a, a story of a young woman who has a very, very it's over very sad. <laughs> I actually thought it was really, you know, uplifting. No, it's very uplifting. It's and very, very <laughs> and very uh, beautifully shot by Ellen Louvar, who is yes. the most fantastic cinematographer who shot uh, rocks and a bunch of movies and uh, beach rats and I didn't know it's gonna be so hard to talk to. I have a feeling like I'm more red and red and red. <laughs> Listen, you pronounced my name correctly. You're doing absolutely brilliantly. So the film is executive produced by Martin Scorsese. Yes. Are, are we friends with Martin Scorsese? A little bit. So how, how did it happen? Um, uh, they saw my short film after Berlin, and uh, together with RT Features, they had this fund that supports first and second time filmmakers, and they came on board. Um, they kind of picked up my film before I had a script, so it was kind of just a letter of intention of what I want to do. And I met Marty on my birthday. They told me, you have only 30 minutes. Think of what you're going to say. You have 30 minutes, and it's like after three hours, we are still talking <laughs> about movies, faith, religion, resilience, youth. Yeah. And I, I heard that when he, when he saw the film, he'd seen it once, and he said he had almost committed the entire film to memory, that he could talk about every single shot. How do you know that? Because I did my research. It's my job. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I literally do this for a living. He was like, he, he knew every line of the movie, and I didn't know every line of the movie. <laughs> so I was like writing down what he's saying, and he, he knew everything, everything. He was like a script. And did, did, he, give you, did he give you notes about it? How, how was his involvement? No, he just wanted to show me that he knows everything. Okay. okay. <laughs> And I want to show a clip, because there's a lot of underwater stuff in the film, and there's a whole thing about the, the character. When she's underwater, she's one thing. She's in a different kind of world to when she's above water, and it's very, very evocative. And I want to show a clip from it, and we'll talk about what the clip means, means okay? Oof. So here we go, have a look. Okay. Thank you very much. 
So, I love that scene. So tell me what's going... I mean, firstly, the music in that scene is so evocative. And there's a tension. You're not quite sure what's going on, but you get the sense of the aggression between uh, her and him. How do you direct something like that? I mean, were you underwater with them? Uh, yes, in preparation, yes. And later I was on a boat with a microphone. So how is that? So what, underwater speakers? Or? Yes. For synchronized swimming, we use those. Wow. Yeah, that's how I communicated. So they cannot answer back. They only can hear me. <laughs> that sounds ideal. You should film everything underwater. That's why I'm doing it. <laughs> and it's great. It's great to shoot underwater because... Um, you know, they, you cannot speak, you cannot really communicate, you cannot answer back, and you can only move and express really the truth with your body in a very limited amount of time. And I think that's why it's very truthful to shoot underwater somehow. And what, so, oh, this is a serious question, what sort of direction do you give if you're directing somebody physically? Do you, how do you, what do you say? Go deeper. <laughs> <laughs> okay, serious question. It's mostly like go right and go left, up and down, and come out. Okay, so it's like the golden shot. That wouldn't mean anything to you. It's a whole no. British thing, up a bit. No, no, it's, yeah, I understood, but no, it's mostly like um, you prepare, I prepare emotionally arc of the scene because it's yeah. not just like camera the water, it's entire scene with the arc and emotional yeah. change. So um, it's important to do it above the water where you can actually communicate it, because once you're under, there's no communication okay. really, except adjusting the shot, and that's it. So you rehearse- like You're in the shot, you're not in the shot, that's it. But you, so you rehearse all the underwater stuff above water, and then yes. you do- it's, That just must be logistically a nightmare. No, it's very easy. It's like you put two people and said, okay, now you converse to each other without talking. Okay, and when, when you're working with actors, do you, do you give them a lot of information or do you let them follow their own instinct? How are you with actors? Depending which actor. Okay. Some actors are like, you know, like stray dogs, like you put them on a screen and they're so natural. And some actors need more backstory, so. And I like to marry them all together in one place so they can find the common language and then everything works. And you weren't always going to be a filmmaker because I asked you what you did before and then you said you did some time in construction. <laughs> yes, it's true. Um, I didn't think I could be a filmmaker in Croatia. You know, I, I, it took me years to leave my country to realize I can do that and then I went back to do it there. So when you were a kid, did you, did you always love movies? No, I loved theater. Okay. Yeah, I was a child actress in theater, and I was always organizing theater shows on my street like, like when I was five years old. And do you, are you still an actor? No, no. Because? It's too hard to be an actor. Okay, we have a couple of actors on the show, and I'm kind of I'm I'm interested, but hard in what way? Emotionally, it's hard, I think, to grow with that craft. Okay. And do you find it easier? I respect actors so much. It's a very hard job. And do you find that all directors respect actors? I don't know other directors, how they work with actors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but you, see, you seem to have a very good relationship with your actors, because every performance in that film is completely naturalistic. It's, you know, it, it, everyone seems to be completely in the zone. 
everybody d deserves and needs other approach. You know, it's like, um, it's like with every movie and every script, there's no formula. Okay. So I think it's same with actors. I, I try to find that um, access that is best for each one of them. And how was it winning the camera door at Cannes? I wasn't there. I was in hospital delivering my son. It's <laughs> a good excuse. <laughs> yeah. Have you, have you been to Cannes before? Uh, yes. When I, I went to pr present my movie, I was nine months pregnant. And then they told me, OK, it's time. And I went in a car, and I drove back, and I got the camera door when I delivered my son. <laughs> For the time that you were there, did you enjoy it? And I ask you this as a loaded oh, question. Oh, I love I, it. OK, I can't I danced that. so much. I finally didn't feel fat, because now I had a belly, so I could really dance and enjoy all of me. <laughs> Okay, so but so but did you enjoy the the whole thing of the 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 press and the flash thing? You know, can the I only saw the beach. <laughs> but but there's all the press calls and you introduced the movie and you brought it there and you presented it. It's like a scrum. It's my idea of hell on earth. I have a motto. You want to hear my motto? <laughs> that that's it. <laughs> You're building your part up. My motto is can don't. Can don't, I see. No, I didn't feel like that. I loved it. Did you? No, no, seriously, I did. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I was protected by that, by the velour of pregnancy. I really had so much fun. Is that so bad? No, it's, no, it's, did it's I fantastic. Do, did I say mistake? No, 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 listen, it's fantastic. I think I have nothing but admiration for anybody who can, who can do can and find all the good stuff in it. So, and do you know what you're doing next? Yes. Um, can you tell me? I'll try. Okay. You see, I'm not very good talking about what is it about. You are so. doing very well. Um, uh, my next movie is a mother-daughter relationship, and I like to say it's um, about um, dark sensuality and beautiful colors. Okay. Anything more physical than that? No. No. Okay. Great. That's it. Okay. I asked you to pick a guilty pleasure, and I have to tell you, God bless you, you have picked, I think, one of the very few movies that I went, no, really? <laughs> Not least because having seen this, I, mean, I, just, I just didn't expect, okay? So, okay. so you've, you know. I took it seriously. <laughs> there it is. Um, so, My Girl, the film which is best remembered for the fact that Macaulay Culkin gets killed by bees. Yes. Tell me, when did you first see it? I don't know. I was probably before elementary school. Okay. Yeah. And? And I chose it exactly for that reason, because do you remember any other movie where that happens, that they didn't cut it out or he survives or resurrects or it's not really that it happened? It's really? the only movie where you can actually see a reality of that the children die. I mean, that sounds very weird, but, no, but what I wanted to say, it's like it really affected me as a child because I thought only old people die. I mean, old people, like 19 plus was old at that time. <laughs> <laughs> but like... That just, I'm just about to turn 60. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> but so... But no, but <laughs> <laughs> it's <so> great. <laughs> What's, what's fascinating, you are the best guest I've ever had on this show. 
I'm glad that I can make you uncomfortable. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> What's fascinating about it? Should we watch a clip? Let's watch Should it. Watch a clip. Yes, okay, okay. yes, Let's yes. Have a look. Why do you think people want to get married? When you get older, you just have to. I'm going to marry Mr. Bixler. I can't marry a teacher. It's against the law. It is not. Yes, it is, because then he'll give you all A's and it won't be fair. Not true. Have you ever kissed anyone? Like they do on TV? Mm-hmm. No. Maybe we should just see what's the big deal. But I don't know how. Okay, enough practice. Close your eyes. Then I won't be able to see anything. Just do it. Okay, on the count of three. One, two, two and a half, three. interesting thing one of the reasons that we do the guilty pleasure thing is because it may often be a chance to go back and I haven't seen that film since it came out and I remember reviewing it when it came out and I was sniffy and rude and uh, you know no I know but I'm just being honest but actually <laughs> I'd never thought about what you said about it's a film that actually deals with the serious side of it and I think that seems actually rather charming yeah so do, do you do you think it's a good film it hasn't aged well. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, it, but yes, it is a good film because it, it, it introduces something important, you know, the sense of time. I think that's something important in my work. Yeah. And I think I probably somewhere subconsciously referenced this film in my work as well. So do you think there are elements of my girl in Marina? No. But I realized that there were elements of my girl in Into the Blue, which is my short film that I did before. And I realized it like three days ago when I picked my guilty pleasure. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, well, look, I'm going to go back and watch it again. Yes, please. Be because I think, you know, I th I'm sure that I was, you know, un unduly rude about it. But it's, it's a great guilty pleasure choice, but not least because I would never have considered watching it again until you brought it up. <laughs> I do think that that thing about, it, you know, it deals with taboo subject matter. Because I mean, that's all I remember at the time was, why is this, it's why the, have they killed Macaulay Culkin? The main Culkin? character dies. Yeah. But it's, it, it dies so naturally. Of in, in an arc. <laughs> no, but in an arc of the movie, it, it arrives there in a very natural way for me. 
No. I, I, look, I, you're the filmmaker, and I, I think that you, you're smarter I, than I am. So uh, I no, no, no. I only know my own films, but this is my guilty pleasure. <laughs> but it's a brilliant guilty pleasure. Marini is currently playing uh, in UK cinemas. Do go and see it if you get a chance. It's really worth seeing on the big screen because it looks absolutely fabulous. Congratulations. When you Thank make you. the next movie, will you come back and come back on the show? Are you going to want me? Yes, absolutely, yeah. And you have to do a guilty pleasure that will outdo that. Yes, good. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thank Thank you. for coming. Thank you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Because we're still theoretically under uh, sort of restrictions due to, you know, uh, one thing and another, we still can't do ask the audience from by passing around a microphone. So we, I asked for people to tweet questions in advance. Uh, here are three questions that were tweeted in advance to the show. This came from, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing your name, Sophia Kahonen. I'm from Finland, and I love long train journeys, so I went to see Compartment Number 6 over the weekend. What do, you, what do you think about it, and what other films are set on trains that are worth watching? I've picked this because it's a completely uh, open goal for me to say, well, on uh, Compartment Number 6, the director of Compartment Number 6 was on the show that I present on uh, Radio 4 with Elney Jones, in which Ellen spoke to him. And uh, we talked we did the whole programme about trains in movies and... You know how much we love the the Richard Linklater uh, before trilogy, which is just so wonderful, and why it is that trains have been such an essential part of cinema right from the very beginning, from La Ciotat and train coming into the station and everyone running away from the screen, which of course isn't true, but it's a good story. And we also had on Neil Brand, who was talking about accompanying silent films and playing along to a train. Indulge me, I'm just going to play you, um, it's about a minute, isn't it? Round about a minute of Neil Brand explaining how it is that as a silent movie pianist you would play a train on screen. I sat down at the piano with composer and silent film pianist Neil Brand to ask how to bring a train to life with music. If you would say the word train, you can hear that chug straight away. But that kind of... Especially in silent film, of course, we're talking steam trains. So you're going to have that kind of feel to it. But also the sense of travelling. That's really interesting because several things about trains in films. They herald something. Maybe they're bringing the bad guy in High Noon. Maybe they're bringing someone's lover off the train. 
this whole idea that a train is a change. So when you're dealing with a train, but you know that there's an emotional context to it, that's kind of interesting as well, because you can have this as travel. There's your train going. Now, this is a question from one of our young uh, film students in, who didn't want to be named. I can't name them because I don't know who they are. Um, but it was, what advice do you have for a young person interested in becoming a film critic? And I'll do this very, very briefly. Here is my advice to anybody who wants to be a film critic. I have never yet met anyone who really wanted to be a film critic who didn't become a film critic. What happens to most people is that they start out thinking, I really want to be a film critic, and they find out pretty fast that they actually don't. So my advice to anyone who wanted to become a film critic is if you really want to do it and, you know, you think that writing about films or talking about films is what you'd like to do and you're fine with being a freelancer and you're incredibly thick-skinned and uh, you don't take no for an answer, just keep doing it. You will succeed. It will happen. But 99.9% .9 of people realise that it isn't what they want to do and that's great because for the 0.1% of us that do it just kind of keeps the field really really thinned out so that would be my main advice the other piece of advice I give you is take notes on films when you watch films when you come out afterwards when I was a kid at school I used to come out of movies because we didn't have videos back then so I'd come out of a movie and I'd write the movie down I'd write down like a you know what happened in the film and my reaction to it because we couldn't watch it again on video so I just read my own I literally grew up reading my own reviews of films which is incredibly narcissistic but there we go you know so I was a film critic in my own head before I was in the real world and finally from Jess Mason what's the most underrated film we should watch right now and this is a very very simple uh, answer because I was asked this question by my family just the other day, what's the most underrated movie we should watch? And my answer was Greenland is an absolute work of genius. I'm not just saying this. Greenland is brilliant. It is fantastically well written. Gerard Butler has never been better. I know that's not a high bar, but he's fantastic in it. It is really, really well directed. It's gripping. It's You liked it, right? And it's it's just, and I watched it. I had to watch it because it was coming out in the cinema. And uh, no, it wasn't coming out in the cinema. It was coming out to streaming. And it was late at night, so I was just going to get this Gerald Butler film out of the way. And, and it was like eleven o'clock. I mean, okay, I'll sit down. I started watching it. I was oh, but I had a few drinks because it was late in the evening. And I watched it. I thought this is great. And then I woke up the next morning and thought. Maybe I was just drunk. Maybe I should watch it again. And I said to my family, you need to watch Greenland. And they said, no, we don't. And I said, yes, you do. And they went, no, it's Gerald Butler, Asteroid Puncher. Why do I want to watch that? And then I forced them all to watch it, and it's a work of genius. Has anyone here seen Greenland? Yes. Work of genius, right? Most underrated movie at the moment. You have to go and see it. It's absolutely fantastic. On streaming services, don't miss it. It's brilliant. Apparently, they're making Greenland 2. Although, I don't know, how, I don't know what's going to happen in Greenland 2. He's going to come out of the bunker and go, oh, another asteroid, damn. <laughs> so, uh, here is a trailer for a really brilliant TV series that is coming your way very soon. All I ever wanted was a simple life. I'm going to fake my death. What could be simpler? I begged him to turn himself in. Where have you decided to live when it's all calmed down? Next bloody door. Genius. 
Darwin. We should never give up hope, should we, Mum? He'll be absolutely fine. Full English, please. It was all going to his plan. Gotcha! You want me to exploit people's genuine sympathy for your benefit? Well, obviously, don't put it like that. Yes. What could possibly go wrong? What the? Could you tell me who I need to speak to about making a life insurance claim? An unbelievably true story. Totally bloody nuts. The worst is over now, Pet. How could our mum continue to let us believe our dad had died when he was very much alive? What have I done? The Thief, His Wife and the Canoe, this April on ITV and ITV Hub. Please welcome to the stage Eddie Marsan. Eddie, such a treat to have you. Thank you so much for coming. Um, so, an unbelievably true story. Tell us about the character that you play and how close to the real-life version the character that you play is. I, I played a character of John Darwin who uh, was facing bankruptcy because he had a bitelet empire and that was collapsing. Um, what he really represents is a kind of form of toxic masculinity because he couldn't face the embarrassment and the humiliation of becoming uh, bankrupt. So he came up with this idea of faking his own death. Uh, and it was really just a response. He, he, there was no long-term thinking. He didn't know how, what he was going to do once he got the money from the insurance policies. He just thought, well, I'm going to fake my own death. and. It, and it, what it represents to me in playing him is, I, I think a lot of men have this idea of, when they're young, they have this idea of the myth of omnipotence. I think I've heard psychologists talk about it. They have this idea that, 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 that they can conquer the universe in some way. Right. And a lot of narcissists and men who are, who are um, pathologi pathological liars, they, they have this idea that they are only the only three-dimensional human beings in the world and everybody is two-dimensional. We're right, in their okay. movie. So when you see, when, li when liars lie to you and you think, do you think I'm stupid? It's not that they think you're stupid, it's they think that you don't think the complexity of thoughts that they think. It's a bit like Boris Johnson when he stands up in Parliament and you think, <laughs> and, and I think, <laughs> and I think this comes from a deep-rooted trauma in some way. Okay. I think it. I think we all well, live in, in their in their lives. In their lives, because right. I think we all live in a world where we all suddenly realise that we're all vulnerable, and something happened to these these men. A lot of them, it is men who who they can't deal with that reality, so they have to create this reality where they're the centre of the universe, okay. and they're three dimensional, and everybody else is two dimensional. Okay. I want to play a clip because the clip that we've got refers very specifically to the moment that you just talked about, about the bankruptcy thing. And this is you and Monica Dolan, who is so fantastic in it. And what I think is brilliant about this scene is it treads a really uncomfortable line between comedy and tragedy and something approaching horror as well, okay? So let's have a look. I know you think I don't take it seriously, but I do. In fact, I've been thinking of pretty much nothing else for the last six months. And as far as I can see, you don't have a lot of choice. As far as I can see, there is only one sensible solution. I, 
I know how hard that will be. I know how important it was for you to feel like you bettered yourself. But I promise you, filing for bankruptcy won't make me love you one single jot less. Bankruptcy? Yes. What are you talking about? You said there was only one sensible solution. And there is, but it's not bankruptcy. Well, what on earth is it then? You're going to love this. And during the course of the ensuing drama, what you then see is is her being bullied into this, and he's like, "No, this is great. This is good. This is." The, and any any refusal to believe in him is like, "Well, why won't you stand by me?" Yes. And it is a, I mean, it is a bits of film about bullying in that way. Isn't well, it? it's very interesting because about. 12 years ago, I did Tyrannosaur, yeah, Pedals. Which was an incredibly powerful film. Yeah, it was. But um, no dinosaurs in it, mm? despite the... <laughs> we did actually have a complaint. I Somebody wrote into Radio 5 and said, I went to see Tyrannosaur, no dinosaurs. <laughs> we, me, me and Paddy had to tour the country um, doing Q&As for Tyrannosaur. Yeah. And, and um, when you do so many, you don't get to watch the film. And we could hear the, the credits coming up. And we were waiting to go inside. And then... The, Three women came running out, crying because they were so traumatized. Yeah, yeah. And the person they run into was me. <laughs> they went, ah! um, Paddy thought that was hilarious. Um, <clears throat> but um, what was interesting about Tyrannosaur was the character's um, toxic masculinity was so extreme that it was comfortable for the audience to watch. Okay. Because it was so, it wasn't us. So right. Because oh, that's terrible, but it's not me. And what's really interesting, because I do toxic masculinity all the time. Um, uh, actually, Wendell Pierce said to me, we were talking about the, the change, the film industry post Me Too and post Black Lives Matter. And Wendell Pierce said, you're going to be so busy, Eddie. <laughs> but um, what's really interesting is post Me Too, that the idea of, of toxic masculinity and abuse and bullying is now more subtle, it's more nuanced. Right. It's now in the living room. Right. And it's now making people question how they behave and, question, and questioning the relationship dynamics in their own relationships. You yeah. know? So it's, 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 it's really interesting. You can see the shift. Did you enjoy playing him? I did. I did enjoy playing him um, because you were spinning two plates at the same time. You were spinning delusion and, and insecurity. Yeah. And, and the two, you know, I think if you play Boris Johnson, you do the same thing, really, <laughs> or, or Trump. It's the same kind of thing. I thought that the, I mean, I, I remember the story when it actually happened, but I've forgotten just how I've forgotten the fact that he was living next door. Yeah, he lived next door for four years. Faked his own death and moved in next door. And, and listened to his sons crying and mourning his death. And he listened to it. Yeah. And he was spotted in the street by somebody who recognised him? Yeah, well, the amazing thing is we shot it in Seton Crew, and Seton Crew is only about a mile long. And when he went missing, there were so many TV crews and, and, and the emergency service. It was the biggest thing that happened in Seton Crew when he went missing. And then, and then two weeks later, he was walking up and down the road with a beard on, thinking no one's going to recognise me. It's that kind of mentality. They're not as smart as me. And then he famously got nabbed because... They, he had a photograph of himself and his wife taken at an estate agent. Yes, in, in Panama. <laughs> and she says in the, in the, in the voiceover, this, looking back, this is the stupidest thing we did. Yeah, he went, yeah. no shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
So at the same time, just to demonstrate your extreme uh, uh, talent and breadth, you've also got a horror movie out. Yes. Uh, which is called... Choose or Die. Choose or Die. Should we see a clip from Choose or Die? Yes, please. Here we go. So it's on uh, Netflix. You're a horror fan, Eddie? Uh, not that much, really. I am, but uh, what I did, they sent me the script and then they sh sent me the showreel for the director, Toby Meekins. Yeah. And his short films were just amazing and so weird, but beautiful and artistic. And I just thought, I've got to work with this young man because he's going to be enormous. And when he's enormous, he won't work with me. Do you do, do, you do that quite a lot? Would you, like if, you, if you get a script in, you think, this is great, and somebody's made short films, whatever it is, and, but they don't have a feature track record. Yes. Are you happy to, to take that leap? Yes, if I, if I think there's something in there that I can see, yeah, definitely. So you are still fairly adventurous in what you... Because you, I was just looking back at your CV. I thought we'll do a quick rundown of your career. I thought there's no way I can get through all of this stuff. You do pick your projects carefully, but you take quite a lot of risks with them. Yeah, I do. My main thing is, is whatever I've done previously, I want to do something completely different the next time. What's the most challenging thing you've ever done? Um, I think, <laughs> I think uh, when I finished Happy Go Lucky, I, I was... En Yeah. I'm sorry. I can't... People shout that at you in the street. All right? the time. Sorry. All the time. But um, when I... The last shoot, the last shooting day of, of, uh, of Happy Go Lucky was on Holloway Road on a Thursday, and then I got a phone call to say, you've got to go to L.A., to shoot Hancock with Will Smith on a Sunday, and I had a and, and on a Sunday I had a bazooka in my in my on my shoulder trying to kill Will Smith, and if you watch Happy Go Lucky and Hancock, it's the same character, it's the same bloke, just an American accent. Eddie, we asked you to choose a guilty pleasure, and you chose a film which actually I think in many people's, uh, uh, I mean it's, it's certainly not my girl. What was it that you chose? Uh, I chose I'm Alright Jack. So tell me about your encounter with I'm Alright Jack. When did you first see it? When I was a kid, I first saw it. And then I was on a film set and there was a, there was a, there was, I was talking to some members of the crew and, and we were talking about Peter Sellers. And they were saying that, the, that there's a story that when he was doing this scene, the, the crew were the ones who were laughing the most okay. because they found when he was when he talks about the Soviet Union in, uh, and and communism in such a romantic way and he plays this this shop steward uh, and they said it is hilarious and there is a kind of I, I don't know a kind of working class um, knowing about a, def a deflating knowing about it that okay. I love and I, I just think Peter Sellers' performance in this film is just amazing so I look. think it's his best okay. Yes, here's another good one to start on. Elective childhood and factory manhood. Oh, sounds fun. Yeah, very descriptive. It's all about how they run factories in a worker's state. However, I won't spoil it for you. You ever been to Russia, Mr. Kite? Uh, no, not yet. One place I'd like to go to, though. All them cornfields and valley in the evening. Oh, I wish I knew as much about it as you do. Uh, you ever read any of Lenin's works, have you? Um, no, I'm afraid I haven't. That'll open your eyes for you. Is he still on about Russia? 
I'll tell you straight. That's all we ever get to hear in this house. Have another cup of tea, Mr. Windrush. Uh, no, I won't. Thank no? you very much now. Perhaps you'd care to imbibe. Mother, where's that Australian burgundy we had? Where is it? Uh, no, 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 really. Are you sure? Uh, absolutely sure. Oh, Cynthia, this is Mr. Windrush. You know the gentleman that's going to take the room. Yeah, we have that already. Oh, good evening. <laughs> Here's some tea for you. No, I can't stop. I'm off now. Well, where are you going this evening, for goodness sake, then? Movies. Oh, oh well, I've, I've got my car outside. Perhaps I could give you a lift. Oh, well, that would be kind, wouldn't it, Cynthia? Yes. Tell oh, Yeah, don't. you don't want to go yet, Stanley, do you? Um, well, I don't, but I really ought to be getting along now, Mr. Kite. Oh. Bye, Mum. Bye-bye, dear. Don't be late. Dad. Oh, goodbye. Thank you very much. No, don't worry, Mrs. Kite. We'll, we'll see ourselves out. <laughs> See, here's the thing, Peter Sellers here, but Irene Handel oh, is stealing that she's, scene. She's my nan. My nan was Irene. My, my nan looked just like Irene Handel, and she's brilliant in it. In everything. I, I, mean, I have never seen a film in which I think the last film that she did was The Great Rock and Roll Swindle. And, uh, and she played. There's this whole thing with Tempole Tudor, and she keeps referring to him as Tadpole. It's the funniest thing in the film. She's there's, there's an incredible authenticity. Absolutely. There, so yeah. do you, when we say guilty, it's not that guilty of a pleasure. I mean, it, there are things about it that are a little bit shonky, but it's not a film that's a guilty pleasure, is it? No, but when you've got four teenage kids, it's a guilty pleasure. <laughs> Anything black and white is a guilty pleasure when you've got four So kids. your kid's not into film history and... I mean, my, I've grown up with I you. I think my son's about to, to take... My, my daughter's going to do a degree in film studies, and my yeah. son's going to do a, an A-level in film studies. Very good. They are, but, I mean, they're, 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 I'm the most uncool dad in the world, so they, they'll never watch anything I'm in, not at all. And they kind, they kind of get an appreciation of it, but you kind of get them out of video games into films now. Did you try and bring them up on films that you loved? Did you do that thing about showing them things that you liked? Yes, I showed, I showed my two teenage sons uh, Goodfellas last weekend, and they really liked it. They just thought it was quite long, but they really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I had a similar, I showed my kids The Godfather, and they went, is this still going on? <laughs> is he still in that room? Also, I showed them The Sting, which I remember as being really funny. I mean, it beat The Exorcist to the Best Picture Oscar, which she'll never be forgiven for, but it's the same thing. They were going, well, they're still in that train. They're still doing the... And it, it, you forget the films had a different pace. My wife and I, we, we, we had to rent a house in uh, Long Island when we were doing Ray Donovan the last season in New York. We rented a house in Long Island, which is... And Long Island, if, you, if you've ever been there, it's like, it's like Amateurville horror, these little towns. And we showed them uh, Silence of the Lambs, and my kids thought, this is not scary. So we thought, okay, and we showed my kids The Exorcist. We showed them The Exorcist, but my wife found an old crucifix in the house. <laughs> so we were sitting on a sofa like this, and my wife dropped the crucifix on the floor. <laughs> my kids were terrified. <laughs> and so, Eddie, when can people see... now? Because obviously the title is a pun on the cook, the thief, his wife, and I love it. So when can people see the thief, his wife, and the canoe? On, this, on Easter Sunday, the 17th of uh, April. It's on the Sunday, and then it's the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So ITV have given it a great slot. Okay. Four nights running. And which is sort of, I mean, television slots now, we, people talk about, you know, film audiences, but television audiences are astronomical. It's I like, know, I know. It's, 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 it's out of this world. Now. I think you're brilliant in it, and I, I mean, I was absolutely glued to it. And I, and I kind of knew the story before. I mean, as I said, I'd forgotten. This, but I love the relationship between you and Monica. I, I, I think she's so I great. Think 
think Mon one of the reasons I did it, because I always wanted to work with Monica, because I think she's one of the greatest actors of our generation. Yeah, she's absolutely brilliant. I absolutely agree. Uh, Choose or Die is Netflix. Uh, Eddie, thank you so much for coming on, and thank, thank you, you for choosing that. It was lovely to... Thank you for coming on the thank show. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, there we go. That was the first half of the most recent MK3D recorded live at the BFI South Bank. If you like the sound of the show and you'd like to come along in person, you can get tickets by going to the BFI website. On next week's show, we'll have the second half of the bill, which will include Jason Isaacs and Johnny Flynn talking about Operation Mincemeat and Don Letts looking back on his life and talking about the documentary Rebel Dread and his love of The Harder They Come. Also, if you want to check out Screenshot, it's on BBC Radio. For it has a website and a podcast. Do check it out. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Keep watching the skies. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.